Hello, Connection Point family. It's always great to be with you, and today I'm especially excited about the topic that Pastor John has asked me to speak to you about. I love this theme, the most important people in your life, and John has asked me if I would speak today about the people that you encounter at work. Now, I'm excited about that topic because this is a very important thing that we encounter in our real-world life with Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord 24-7, not just on Sunday. You know, if you go to church a couple of hours on Sunday, that's great. But if you work 40 or 50 hours a week, that's over 2,000 hours a year, and the Lord cares about all of those too. You know, God isn't stuck in this church building. God is right at home in factories and hospitals and restaurants and stores and school buildings. I got to thinking about the different jobs that I've had over the years. I grew up on a farm, so even when I was a little boy, we had daily chores that were just part of life. I baled hay for other local farmers, and I got paid a dollar an hour. Aren't you glad that wages have gone up a little bit? I worked for a bricklayer and poured concrete And I made $2 an hour and felt like I was really in the deep, deep, uh, you know, cotton then. I wasn't very good at being a bricklayer and a mortar mixer. I have to tell you, to this day, there is a house in southern Ohio that when I drive by it, I kind of cringe because I'm guessing there's still my footprint in the concrete at a swimming pool that we built in those days. And I just wasn't that great at that. So most of my career, I've been a minister doing different kinds of work. I've led churches. I've worked for a publishing company. I've been a college professor and a president of a college. And if all that makes me sound really old, well, I get it. Or maybe it just makes it sound like I've never been able to keep a job. I don't know. Now, this topic is relevant to you if you're young and you're not yet in the workforce. I want to say some things today that might be helpful to you that I wish somebody had said to me when I was young and not yet in the workforce. Or maybe you're unemployed, and I want to say that the things we're talking about today are relevant to you because of the job you may have in the future, and I also want to come back before the end today and say a few words of encouragement to you if you're currently unemployed. It might be that you're retired. Well, these words from Scripture are still going to be relevant to you because it's important for us all to understand how God and our faith in Him relate to our daily lives. This message is for all of us today, so let me start with a couple of questions. The first question is, do you find J-O-Y in your J-O-B? Do you find joy in your job? Now, I'm not asking if your job is fun or if it's easy. You can experience joy and a sense of purpose even when you don't enjoy particular parts of your job. And here's a second question. Do you see your career as a curse or as a calling? Now, maybe there's a cynical part of you that wonders, what does Jesus know about my daily work? You know, Jesus didn't have to commute in rush hour traffic and beat the cars on 465. He never did Zoom meetings or had his laptop crash. A surgeon friend of mine worked in a hospital emergency room, and he faced a lot of very stressful situations. One day, he was teasing me about my work as a minister, and he said, you know, it must be really nice to just serve the Lord all day and not have to deal with the real world. Well, I felt like punching him in the nose, to be honest. I didn't, but, but it really made me angry because, first of all, I know he was just teasing, but it showed he really didn't understand the stressful situations that I dealt with in my work as a minister. But I think what really bothered me about him saying that 
was the idea, the suggestion that somehow God doesn't relate to the real world that we deal with outside of Sunday, outside of church. And what I want to say to that is, look, God is real. The Bible is true. Our faith should be realistic and practical. In fact, I would say it's unrealistic to deny God. The person who's not being realistic and dealing with the real world is the person who acts like God is irrelevant. And Jesus understands our day-to-day work life. I mean, think about the jobs that Jesus had, according to the Scripture. Jesus was a teacher. So if you work in education, Jesus understands your world. He led discussions, he answered questions, he dealt with discipline problems. Jesus was a carpenter. I love this picture that a painter drew of Jesus working in the carpenter shop, shaping a piece of wood. I keep this picture right next to the door in my office so that I'll remember that Jesus is working to shape my life and he wants me to help be a vehicle for shaping other people's lives. But I love the thought that Jesus was a carpenter. If you work with your hands, Jesus understands your world. He cooked food. He took care of, cared for children. He washed feet. He knows what it's like to come home at the end of the day and have calloused hands and sore muscles. Jesus was a carpenter. He was a physician. I mean, he was a counselor, and he worked in what we would call the helping professions. He was a doctor. He understood how to care for people who were hurting. The dying, the diseased, found their way to Jesus. If you work in the medical profession, Jesus understands your world. One time, a sick woman found her way to Jesus, and she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and he healed her. But Jesus made an interesting statement. He said he could tell that power had gone out from him. Maybe you can relate to that. Because if you have a job where you care for others, it's not uncommon for you to experience a power drain as you give and as you give to others. Another thing about Jesus, he was a leader. If you supervise and manage people, Jesus understands your world. Others came to him with difficult problems, expecting him to solve them. Like, how are we going to feed thousands of hungry people out here in the wilderness? His disciples came from all different careers. They were merchants, they were fishermen, homemakers, tax collectors, and tent makers. These were the people that Jesus interacted with. No matter what you do for a living, I want to tell you something. Jesus understands your job very well. In fact, he understands it better than you do. In Luke chapter 5, he told Peter, a fisherman, go out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter, as a fisherman, must have been thinking, you know, Lord, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I know how to catch fish. And you don't catch them in the deep water in the middle of the day on the Sea of Galilee. But he did what Jesus said, and when he dropped down his nets, he pulled in an enormous catch of fish. And Peter learned a big lesson that day. Jesus understands his way of life. Jesus understands his real world, even his job, better than than Simon Peter did. And let me tell you, Jesus knows more about computers than you do. He knows more about engineering and medicine and farming than you do. So as we dive into this message, we're going to look at what the Bible says the Lord thinks about why we work and how we work, and then we're going to spend most of our time on who we work with and how we can serve them. So let's start with the why question. Why do we work? Well, the answer is obvious, right? I mean, we work to make money. Maybe you've seen the bumper sticker that says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. If you owe money, if you need to make money, of course you have a job to do that, but there's more to it than just earning a paycheck. 
we work to provide for our families. This is a noble, God-given responsibility. I have just tender feelings when I remember how my mom and dad ran a small farm and milked cows, got up early in the morning in the dark on cold winter days to go out and take care of the, the cattle in order to support my brothers and me. A friend of mine told me about his dad who worked at the same factory for decades. And on the day when his dad retired on his last day of work, my friend went over to the parking lot outside the factory and he watched for his dad to come out the door one last time and as his dad walked out carrying his lunch bucket, my friend just stood there, a single person just standing in the parking lot, applauding for his dad as his dad walked out for the last time, honoring all those years of faithful work to provide for his family. One other reason that we work is so we have something to give, so that we have something to give. You know, your paycheck isn't just for you. Your income positions you for output. Your income positions you for output. It allows you to tithe, to give to God, to give to others. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 says, Use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. If God gives you a job, be thankful that it allows you to have something to give to others. But the bottom line is, why we work? We work to honor God. You know, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were created by God and then placed in the Garden of Eden where they were given the responsibility of tending the garden. Work in the beginning was not a curse. Now, after sin entered the world, after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, then the ground began to bear thorns and thistles and work became more frustrating. And the Lord told them, you'll have to earn a living by the sweat of your brow. And work is harder. It's sometimes very painful and very difficult. But the point is, God designed us in the beginning to be productive. There's something inside of us in the image of God that wants to be creative and productive. So if you're a musician and you play a song and you feel a sense of satisfaction at the end of that, that's a God-given thing. If you're an athlete and you play a good game and you do a play that just comes out just right and you feel a sense of pride and satisfaction, that's the image of God in you. If you finish a project at work, it's a way that God wired you to be so that you feel productive and, and creative when you accomplish something. In the Old Testament, it tells how when the Jews built the temple, the place of worship for the Jewish people, they had a lot of construction workers do different jobs. But some of them had an interesting job that could easily be missed or overlooked or unappreciated. These craftsmen, their job was to carve rows of 200 pomegranates on top of some pillars that stood at the front steps of the temple. They were high above the ground. And what occurred to me is, these guys worked for months, probably years, carving all these little pomegranates, but nobody at ground level could see what they had done. Nobody could see what they had accomplished. But you know what? God could see. God could see what they did. If nobody else knew, if nobody else appreciated it, they were doing it for the glory of God. And that mattered, that God knew, God saw, God cared. And that's really ultimately all that matters. Why do we work? To give glory to God, to honor Him. But how? How should we work? Well, I want to suggest several things. And the first is just to have a missional mindset when you go 
to work. When you think about your job, think about it in a missional way. That is, in a purposeful way. You know, the Bible says, set your mind on things above. And what I have found is, it helps to deal with the daily grind if I have Christ on my mind. A Christ-centered mind helps you with the daily grind. And so if you go at your work, if you get in the car or you walk to work, whatever you do, and you start your job and you say, I'm going to have a sense of purpose about this. I'm going to have a missional mindset. It will help you with your workday so much. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples and he told the heavenly father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. That's Satan. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. See, Jesus doesn't take us out of the world. He sends us into it to be on mission for him. So Jesus sends some of us to be missionaries in other countries, but he sends others to office buildings and restaurants and hospitals and schools and stores. And let me say something here. If you are a homemaker bringing up children, if you are a stay-at-home mom or dad, you are doing vital, vital work. You may not be on somebody's payroll, but you are working hard. You're like the crew at the Kennedy Space Center because your home is a launching pad. And someday, God's going to launch and send your kids out into the world and you are preparing them for launch. So the point is, whether you work from home or anywhere out in the world, we should have a missional mindset and realize that God has a purpose for us in that job. Now, another thing about how we work is we need to have a healthy work ethic. When we go to work, we need to have a healthy work ethic. It earns respect if you are reliable, if you show up faithfully on time, if you do your job well, if you act with integrity, if you relate well to other people, it actually opens doors for the gospel of Jesus. I had a friend who died of cancer just a couple of years ago. I miss him a lot. His name was Mike. And Mike was an army veteran who knew how to do dental work, and so he became a dental hygienist. And Mike, when he became a Christian, he just, it, it just really filled his life with joy, and he wanted to share his faith. So as he worked in a clinic, a public health clinic, he gently played quiet Christian music, contemporary Christian music, behind the scenes while he was working on people's teeth, and he would kind of shrug his shoulders and say, Dave, you know, what are they going to do? They're a captive audience, right? And so he would put them in the chair and his patients in the chair, and he would just talk with them gently and befriend them and express his joy. He didn't do it in a heavy-handed way at all, but he cared for, he loved the people that he was working on. And the, the, the Holy Spirit was just evident in that office, that dental office, when he did his work. I have a, a friend who's a veterinarian, takes care of our little dog, Nugget. Many of you remember our little dog, Nugget. Well, one time she had to have surgery, and we were kind of concerned about this little dog going under the knife. And our vet, I wasn't even sure he was a believer, but now I know. He looked at my wife and he said, I always pray that God will guide my hands. Well, the witness you can have in the workplace if you have a healthy work ethic is very significant. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Make it your goal to live a quiet life. I, I always think that's kind of funny. One translation says, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. It just seems funny to me because when you think about being ambitious, it seems funny that you'd say, be ambitious about being quiet. 
But that's what Paul says. Make it your goal, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. Don't be always stirring everything up, but live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. And then look what he says the results of this will be. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Isn't that interesting? You earn respect from others when you're a worker, a solid worker, and have a good work ethic. Now, you don't earn respect if you're a slacker. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 18.9, a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. So you don't want to be a slacker at work. That will bring disrepute to the Christian name that you wear. You know, there's an animal called a sloth. I think a sloth is one of the funniest animals. They just hang around. That's what they do all day. They just kind of hang around. In fact, the word sloth, the name of this animal, has come to be a synonym for laziness. So don't be a sloth at work. And here's a good biblical word for you. Don't be a sluggard. S-L-U-G-G-A-R-D, a sluggard. Now, the, the book of Proverbs uses some funny illustrations to describe the lazy person or the sluggard. For example, in Proverbs 26, it says, the lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. That's the excuse that the person is using for not going to work. Well, I, I know there's a lion on I-465 this morning. There's no way I could go to work. The lion's just, you know. <laughs> and then, as a door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. And then it goes on and says, lazy people take food in their hand but won't even lift it to their mouth. I can honestly say I've never been that lazy. <laughs> so lazy that I couldn't get the food to my mouth. But what it's saying is don't be a slacker. Don't be a sloth. Don't be a sluggard. Be somebody who is respected because you're serious about doing your job and doing it well. You know, athletes have a saying. We can learn a lot from the world of athletics. Athletes have a saying, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So you can be a very talented person, but if you're sloppy in your work and you don't really give it your best, it just won't cut it. So it honors the Lord when we are diligent in our work. Here's one other thing about how to do our jobs. Don't confuse your work with your identity. Or another way to say this is, don't confuse your work with your worth as a person. What you are worth is not just about what you produce in the workplace. Now, I know I just talked about some folks are lazy, but workaholics do dishonor to the name of Christ too. Work, workaholics go to the opposite extreme. Your worth isn't measured by what you accomplish, the title you wear, how much you earn, how busy you are, or where your name is on some organizational chart. That's not the measure of your worth. If someone asks, who are you? And you say, I'm an electrician, I'm a plumber, I'm a cook, I'm an accountant, I'm a teacher. Is that who you really are? Or is it what you do? You know who you are? You are a creation of God. You are a child of God. I love the way one young, one young woman answered that question when somebody asked her who she was. She said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a grocery clerk. You know, I want to ask you something. What is your vision for your life aside from your work? If somebody asks you to describe your vision for your life, is it just what you're going to accomplish in your career? Or are there other things that define your vision for your life? Do you want to bear fruit for God? Do you want to give? Do you want to serve? Do you want to have an impact on other people? Do you want to love God and love others well? 
Don't confuse who you are with what you do. Listen, if you lose your job, will you lose your identity? Or when you retire, who are you then? The basketball star Steph Curry recently said, I still have a lot to accomplish, but I don't have anything left to prove. That's an interesting thing to say. You got in, in life, you want to accomplish things, but what are you trying to prove? If you're a workaholic, what are you trying to prove? What are you trying to earn? Who are you trying to impress? You know, God loves you just as you are. You don't have to earn it. We're saved by grace, not by our works. So we've talked about why work and we've talked about how, but what about who? That's the focus of this message. Who? What are the people like that you encounter at work? Who are they? Who are these very important people that you interact with 2,000 and some hours a year? How do you see them? How do you relate to them? And actually the question, how do you see them is important because if you don't view those people correctly and really see who they are as creations of God, you're going to miss some great blessings and opportunities. You know the song Amazing Grace? It has a line in it that says, I once was blind, but now I see. Well, I'm not blind, but I've been very nearsighted my whole life. And recently I had some surgical work done on my eyes, and I want to show you some examples. The woods in my backyard used to look like this. <laughs> That's what they used to look like. Now look what they look like. And I had been missing things. There was an owl in that tree. You know, I, I, I missed things like that because I wasn't seeing correctly. And my family, without glasses, my family used to look like this. I'm, this is not an exaggeration. That's really pretty much it. And then with my new glasses and my new surgically repaired eyes, ah, oh, my family has come into sharper focus. Even my Bible used to look like this. Let me see the Bible. See, that, you can't even tell it is a Bible. But then... With my repaired eyes, it's like, oh, wow, I can see God's word more clearly. So it made me think, how do I see things spiritually? How do you see things spiritually? How do you view the people at your work? You know, when we're self-absorbed and self-centered, we miss so much. When we only see what's close to us. But when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we begin to see the world differently. We begin to see the Bible differently. We begin to see other people differently. So let me ask you, how do you see other people at work? Are they just a blur? Think about the folks you encounter on the job. There's your boss. How do you think about your boss? How do you view them? Do you ever watch the TV show Undercover Boss? You know, executives in that show put on disguises and they, uh, they work with their employees. I often wonder, why didn't everybody recognize it's just your boss wearing a fake mustache and a wig and glasses or whatever, especially when there are TV cameras following you around all day. I don't get that totally. But let me ask you, how do you see your boss? Do you see your boss through the eyes of Jesus? Does your supervisor see Christ in you? There's a verse in Proverbs that says, trustworthy messengers refresh like snow in summer. They revive the spirit of their employer. Would your boss say that you revive their spirit by your attitude and the work that you do? In Colossians chapter 3, the apostle Paul said, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Your ultimate boss is not that person that signs your paychecks. Your 
ultimate boss is Jesus Christ, the master. I heard about somebody who would go into his office once in a while and put a sign on the door that said, in consultation with the boss. He was spending time in prayer. Well, don't overdo that. You might get in trouble with your earthly boss, but it's really great to remember that Jesus is ultimately your master at work, the one you're serving. He's really your boss. And when you remember that you're accountable to Jesus, you won't waste company time, you won't cheat on your expense reports, you won't indulge in gossip because you have to report to the master, the one who's really the boss, that's Jesus. What about your employees? Maybe for some people, you are the boss. You are the boss. And if there are other workers that you manage or people who report to you, do they see Christ living in you by the way you treat them? In Colossians chapter 4, Paul tells the ones in charge at work to be just and fair. He says, remember that you also have a master in heaven. I remember I told you early in this message that I worked for a bricklayer for a while. My boss was a Christian man who drove a red pickup truck, and he was a skilled bricklayer. He was really good at it. But the best thing about Ray was that he was patient with me and all of my questions and all of my doubts and all the things I was wondering about as a young person trying to wrestle with my own faith. I was going through a serious time of my own questioning and doubting, and I would get in Ray's red pickup truck with him as we'd drive to another job, and I would fire questions about him. And I just remember Ray was patient, he was kind, and he didn't always have the answers to everything that I asked, but he kept assuring me, Dave, you'll figure it out. There are people who know God's word can be trusted. He was a great example. My boss was a great example to me of Christ-likeness, made a powerful impact on my life. And then what about your coworkers? What about the people you work alongside each day? You know, the Apostle Paul often spoke of his co-workers in the New Testament, and he referred to them in the Greek New Testament, he referred to them with this word synergase. Synergase, that's the word we translate co-worker. And it's also the word where we get our word synergy. So the Apostle Paul saw his co-workers as his teammates, his synergizers. By working productively together, you could get more done. That's synergy at work. So how do you view your co-workers? And how do you view the people you serve? Your clients, your customers, your patients, your students, or your children? You know what? The grind of work, if you're not thinking with the mind of Christ and you're just getting ground down by the grind of work, you can tend to look at people as almost a nuisance or a pest. That's not how we should look at them with the eyes of Christ. They're not just dollar signs. They're not just machines. They're not just numbers on a page. These people we interact with at work, whether they're our co-workers or the people we're serving, they're people made in God's image. You know, some people are not easy to be around. Some people don't make it easy on us when we're trying to serve them well. But let me tell you, things go better if you pray, Lord, help me to see these people through your eyes. I remember when I was a college professor, I became annoyed and frustrated with a student who often drifted off to sleep in my morning class. Later, I found out that he was a firefighter who was working the night shift And he was up all night before he came to my class. And as I began to understand a little bit better what was going on in his life, I was amazed at his dedication to make it to class at all. 
I challenge you to look at the people you encounter at work through the eyes of Jesus and pray for your coworkers and your customers and your clients and your students and your patients and your children. Ask the Lord to bless them and lighten the burdens that they bear. When you are at work, you can offer quick private prayers throughout the day. You can pray without ceasing just throughout your day. You can pray, Lord, give me wisdom to deal with this situation well. Give me patience. Help me to control my temper. Give me insight. You can pray silently when you and a group of coworkers are in a meeting and ask him privately, just silently, to say, Lord, help us figure this out. Show us how to solve this problem. Now, before we close, I want to be honest with you and just say, I know you, some of you are thinking this as you listen to this message. The workplace may be one of the hardest places to live a life that honors Jesus Christ. It just, let's be honest, it's very tough sometimes. We're in a spiritual battle, and if Satan can't distract you and bring you down when you're at church, he'll try to do it all through the week. And for some of us, getting up and going to our jobs every day is really, really tough to think. How can we honor God in our professions? Somebody used this illustration. It's kind of like you're on the ground floor of a building, and God wants you to reach the 20th floor And Satan is like the kid who gets on there and hits every elevator button. And you keep having to stop and jerk to a stop, and you're not quite getting where you want. But listen, Satan might be able to slow you down, but he can't stop you in your journey. If you are faithful, he can't stop you from getting where God wants you to be. So I want to encourage you, if this is a hard thing for you to go to work and think, how can I honor God? How can I minister to people around me? I understand. The Lord understands but he will be with you and help you in that journey, even if there are some fits and stops and jerks along the way. And I also want to say a few words before we're done to anyone hearing this message who is currently unemployed. This is such a difficult thing. Listen, don't be discouraged. God cares about you. God is with you. God doesn't waste anything, and he won't waste this season of your life. He will be with you in your search for another job. You don't have to go it alone either. Connection Point has a financial ministry that can assist you with budgeting. We have a good neighbor ministry that's here to help you if you're struggling to pay for groceries and basic needs. We have small groups that will be around you and encourage you and walk through this with you. This can be a time to grow and to serve and to learn about yourself and about God. God cares about you and he'll see you through this time. Now before we finish... I want to suggest two application steps for all of us as we think about these very important people we encounter at work. Here are the application steps I want to suggest. Number one, see your workplace as a worship place. Now, that doesn't mean you just sit in a corner praying all day. You do your job and you do it well. But it does mean you invite God's presence into your job. There was a guy named Brother Lawrence who was a priest, and he was assigned, because he says by his own admission he wasn't good at a lot of other things, he was assigned just uh, the most humble task. But he said, whether I was washing dishes or cooking food, or whatever I was doing, he said, I was very aware that God was with me in that. And so he was really good at what he did. And he wrote a book that we call The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a great reminder that whatever you're doing, humble task, 
notable tasks, things that people applaud you for, or things that people never notice, whatever it is, you're doing it in the presence of God. I love the story about the bus driver who said that every morning before anyone else got on his bus, he would get on the bus in the dark of the early pre-dawn hours. He would get onto his bus and he would stand there and say aloud every morning, I declare that this bus is a sanctuary for the Lord my God. And then everybody who would get on the bus throughout the day, in his mind, he's thinking, they're getting into a sanctuary, a place set apart for the worship of God. And if uh, passengers would get rowdy or disruptive or whatever, he'd just think to himself, a sanctuary, man. It's a sanctuary. This is a place where I serve God. And I want to challenge you to do that wherever you work, at the construction site, at the store, at the restaurant, at the school, at the office. Someone said, a career is what you're paid for. A calling is what you're made for. View your job as a way to worship God and a way to serve other people. And then there's my other application step. Be a winsome witness. Jesus talked about being the light of the world. Well, the best place to do that is in a dark place. And if you work in a place that has some pockets of darkness or is overwhelmed by darkness, be a light in that place. Jesus said you were the salt of the earth. You can bring seasoning and, and interest and zest and, and preserving to places that are rotten and difficult. Titus chapter 2 says, don't talk back or steal from your employer. Instead, workers should show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they'll make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. I love the way that's said. Make the teachings about God attractive. One translation says, adorn the doctrine of God, like a, an attractive piece of jewelry. The way we conduct ourselves at work can actually open doors for the gospel. Paul told his friend Philemon, your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. I love that. Your kindness has refreshed the hearts of God's people. You know how at football games, there are people on the sidelines whose job is to squirt Gatorade into the mouths of the players to keep them hydrated. Those people are fascinating to me. They chase them around, you know, and they're squeezing that Gatorade into the mouths of the players. I love that we have people, that's their job, to keep others going, to keep others refreshed. You don't hear people giving stat, uh, stats and statistics and applause to the people who squeezed the Gatorade, but without them, the players wouldn't have been able, able to perform on the field. I think of a Christian at work. Can we be people who refresh the hearts of others by our kindness? That instead of a scorching email, could we send one that's a little more gentle and kind? Can we make phone calls and interact with people in person in a way that reflects the Holy Spirit's work in our life, the fruit of the Spirit? Can we offer people the water of life that comes from Jesus? In her work as a registered nurse, my wife was working one time with a woman who was very abrasive and hard to get along with. And one day her coworker was just so mean that my wife Candy finally had to confront her. And she just sat down with her and said, look, if we're going to work together, you can't treat me this way. And the woman's eyes filled with tears. And she said to Candy, today is the one-year anniversary of my husband's death. They cried together, hugged each other, and they got along and worked together better from that day on. Once Candy learned to see what was making this woman tick and what was really going on in her life. You don't have to preach at people to be winsome 
In fact, it just helps to build relationships, to watch for open doors, to meet needs, to care for people and and carry their burdens, to watch for opportunities to invite people you encounter at work to come to an Easter service. Peter said, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. And I love that. When you're living a life that is filled with hope, others will wonder, what makes you tick? They might just ask you the reason for the hope that you have, and you can point them to Jesus. Before Jesus died on the cross, he prayed and he told the Heavenly Father, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I keep this verse, I wrote it out, and I keep it right next to my computer, my desk, because I want that every day to inspire me and remember my purpose is to, until the day I die, to keep doing the work that God has given me to do, and I want to bring him glory just like Jesus did. The artist William Holman Hunt painted a picture called The Shadow of Death. The picture shows Jesus as a young man working as a carpenter. He's in the carpenter shop. He has finished his work for the day, and he's stretching out his arms to stretch after sawing some wood. And as he stretches out his arms, the way the sun is shining through the window, it casts a shadow on the wall behind him. And the shadow looks like a man who's been nailed to a cross. I love that picture Because it reminds me that whether Jesus was a carpenter or a teacher or a physician or a leader, whatever job he did, he was always living in the shadow of the cross and in the hope and expectation of the resurrection. I pray that we'll do our work that way too. In the shadow of the cross and in the joyful hope and expectation of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, I lift up to you today anyone who is currently out of work or anyone who's unhappy in their jobs. Lord, help us to discover a sense of purpose and mission and joy even that comes from serving you in all that we do. And Lord, help us to put aside any temptation to restrict you to a church building. Help us, Lord, to know that your Spirit is with us, empowering us and helping us every day in our everyday activities, and especially as we are interacting with people out in the world at work. Help us, Lord, to honor you, to be salt of the earth and light in dark places. And Lord, I pray that in this season as we head into Easter, we have opportunities to invite people to church and interact with people who are searching for hope, that the way we do our work and the way we live our lives will shine a bright light toward you and the cross and the empty tomb. Thank you so much, God, for being with us every day in every circumstance. We love you. We ask for your help in our jobs, our families, our homes, our work. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the carpenter, the teacher, the leader, the great physician. Amen.